one of my favorite parts of what I get to do as the pastor here is sit down and hear your stories to get to know you a little bit. And so if we haven't had the chance to do that, I just, I wanted to introduce myself and now it's on you. You got to come up to me and introduce yourself. Uh, and then that's when the conversation begins. This is how this works. So if you haven't ever done that, you can go to ftg.church. I'll, I'll shoot you a message this week and we can set up a time to grab a coffee and chat. You can always go to the Connect Center out in the lobby as well and accomplish all of the same stuff. But I'm glad that you are here. Before we jump into God's word today, I do wanna just talk about something we announced last week. Um, if you're active on social media, you're following all of our social media stuff, you may have seen some things about this, but we announced last week, we're gonna keep talking about this. On March the 17th is our official groundbreaking Sunday for our new building as a church. 14 years we have been portable uh, since 2010 when we launched this church. We are so excited for that groundbreaking Sunday. I want you to know that number one, you're invited. Okay, whether you're here in person, you're watching online, whether you call this church your home or you're just visiting, we would love for you to be there on the 17th with us. It's at 11.30 a.m. Some important things to know about that. Of course, we only have one service that morning. Now you guys are in a habit, you're 9.30 people, so you're good to go, but we are having one service at 9.30 and that means it's gonna be packed in here. We have two services, one at 9.30 and 11 typically. So we just need to be patient with each other. You might accidentally have to touch the knees of a person next to you. You can't leave a seat between. Uh, we're gonna get through that. We're gonna tear everything down, turn this back into a movie theater, and we're gonna head over to our church property on Borer Road, 1240 Borer Road. We're gonna ask that you carpool because parking is going to be limited for sure. And then I would just encourage you to say, man, it's going to be a time of celebration. We're going to be praying. We're going to be worshiping. We're going to share some of the stories of what God has done. We're going to look ahead. It's going to be an awesome day. Make sure you wear some shoes that can get muddy because this is a construction site and it's the middle of, is it still winter? I think it's still winter. It's the middle of winter. It's a construction site. Okay. Are you guys ready to dig into God's word today? Let's do it. First John chapter two. We're going to start in verse three. This is God's word for us today. We're going to read verses three, four, five, and six. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's important to note right off the bat, anytime you read he or him in that passage, it's talking about God. It's talking about uh, Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit. So by this, we, come, we know that we have come to know God, is what John is saying here. I want you to think. Think on a scale of 1 to 10. You're going to have to engage your brain. I want you to picture this number in your mind. How important is it to you that you know that you know God? A 1 would be... This is not something that's that important to me. I don't think about it. 
Uh, it's not something that I'm constantly worried about. A 10 would be, this is very important to me. I want to know that I know God. I want you to picture that number in your mind right now, between one and 10. Now, I can't read your minds, all right? So I'm just gonna guess. But my guess is that people, the majority of us in here, our number is a lot closer to 10 than it is to one. For those of us who are here on a Sunday, many of us call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus. This issue of assurance, knowing that I know God is important, isn't it? I mean, it's meaningful. It's important to me. I can remember this sermon. I'll, I'll never forget it. This is probably 16, 18 years ago that I heard this sermon. I think it was at a camp. And the speaker got up and he said, today's topic is how do you know that you know, that you know that you know, that you're sure that you know, that you're positive, that you know that you're saved. And I was locked in because that's what I'm thinking about. I want to know that I have a relationship with God. John turns his attention from all the things that we've been reading so far in chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He turns his attention and he says, by this we have come to, we know that we have come to know. How do you know that you know? John turns his attention to assurance. And of course, that's talking to us as Christians. How am I sure of my salvation? But I need you to understand there's more going on than just that. Why would John turn to this assurance issue right here at this point? Now, I'm going to give you a little secret. I cheat sometimes and I read ahead. So I can give you some insight into this. If you read ahead with me in verse 19 of chapter 2, you can see that something is clearly going on in these churches that the Holy Spirit has inspired John to write to. We read this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. John is, and his readers are clearly aware of a group of people that used to be a part of their churches. They used to be a part of their fellowship of faith, and they have gone out. They're no longer a part of that fellowship. They no longer claim Christ. These are men and women that that his readers had worshiped alongside of. They sat next to him. They fellowshiped. They probably shared in common things. They suffered persecution together. They read their Bibles together. They worshiped together. And now they have walked away and they're not claiming Christ. And, and his readers have got to be thinking like, well, how do I know that's not going to happen to me? What does that mean for me? There's also another group of people, and there's a subtle distinction between these two. But if you continue to read on, if you cheat like me, you're going to see that there are these other teachers that John is having to deal with within these churches. And these are men and women. They're still claiming Christ, but now they're teaching different stuff. And so you've got these groups of people. You've got Christians who want personal assurance. And then you've got men and women who have clearly walked away from the faith. They've gone out from us. And then you've got people that are still claiming Christ, but they're teaching different stuff. And so you have these two issues. One of them is, is very personal, my relationship with God. And the other has to do with like discernment. What am I supposed to think about this other stuff going on? And the Holy Spirit has inspired John to address these things. We talked about how 1 John is such 
it is such a, a, a letter for our times right here and now, right? And it's amazing to think that thousands of years after John is writing, these are still the similar issues to the things that we face. If you have grown up in church, I know I have pictures of people in my mind right now that they served with me, they were in youth group, they went to church camp with me, and now they, they don't want anything to do with God. I mean, for years. And I think like, man, what, what happened? I know you have family members like that, don't you? You have friends or coworkers or neighbors that you've invited and they came for a time and they worshiped with you and you saw a change and they've fallen away. This idea of the fact that there are men and women who uh, proclaim Christ and then begin to deviate from what scripture teaches or the plain gospel, that's not new. There's always people claiming Jesus, teaching different things. In John's day, that happened. If you look in the Middle Ages, some insane things were happening within the Christian world. There were popes that were claiming to speak on behalf of Christ. A whole succession of them that are also they're, they're the mouthpiece of God on earth, okay, according to the Catholic Church, and yet they're having affairs, and they have mistresses, and children out of wedlock, and they're selling indulgences, which says, hey, give me enough money, and I'll get you into heaven, and they're building palaces, and enriching themselves, and committing murders, and they're doing it in the name of Christ. Today, we have televangelists who prey on the weakness and the frailty and the hopes that people have and they enrich themselves and they fly around on private jets and they do it all in the name of Jesus and, and they're claiming the name of Christ. What are we supposed to think of that? There are pastors that will work tirelessly to abolish the the death penalty for murderers and, and the most vile in society and yet will cut commercials that are promoting the ability to abort a child on demand for any reason, and they'll claim Christ. What are we supposed to think of that? You need discernment in these things, right? And so John is writing, how do I know that I know? Now, I'm just going to give you a preview, okay? Verses four, this is how this fits in my mind. Maybe it'll help you. We'll come back to this idea later. But Essentially, in verses four and five, what John is telling us is that the main thing, and this is the main thing I want you to understand as well, the main thing is that you come to know God. Knowing God is the main thing. He says, verse three, evidence that I know God is that I obey his commandments. And then in verse six, he gets to the application and he says, if, if I know God and I obey his commandments, I'll walk like Jesus walked. So the main thing is knowing God. The evidence of that is that we obey his commandments and our application is that we walk like Jesus walked. I want us to look at verse three together. We're gonna walk through this passage and we're gonna talk about it. We read this again. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his, what church? If we keep his commandments. This is the first thing that I want you to write down. If you're not taking notes today, I want you to pull out a phone and just write this thing down if you can. What I want you to write down is this. You can have an assurance of salvation. You can have assurance of salvation. This is something that we can have. John is saying that you can know that you know. 
And to the unasked question or to the uh, unheard question here, he's answering in the affirmative, yes, you, you truly can know that you're saved, that you're safe in Christ, that you are God's. You can know that. But he doesn't just say, uh, yeah, you're good. He doesn't say, don't worry about it. He doesn't say, you'll be fine. He says, instead, you need to run this simple diagnostic test on your life. You need to take the time and actually ask the question. You need to dig in. You need to look at it. Now, we run diagnostic tests all the time. We run them on our computers, right? I remember my first Windows computer. It wasn't really mine, but our family's. And you could click this thing that it, it would say, run a diagnostic test if it's running slow. And you just click a button and it would do it. Then it would tell you to defrag. And I didn't know what that meant, but I'd click, yeah, I'm doing that. The same thing happens with cars. We talked about the check engine light last week, right? The warning. You can just plug a tool now. You can plug this reader into your car, into the dash, and it'll run the tests for you. This is the test that John gives to us. Hey, do you keep God's commandments? Now, I wish, <laughs> I wish that this was an easy test. He doesn't give us an easy test. This is really hard. I'm just going to be very transparent with you. I have, in, in an attempt to make sure that I understand this scripture, I have asked myself that question this week. David, do you obey God's commandments? And my honest answer is sometimes. It depends which commandments we're talking about. I mean, the big ones, I haven't murdered anybody. You guys should be happy about that. There should be a sigh of relief. You know, I'm good on that one, but here's what I've come to the conclusion. Maybe over the last decade of my life as I've continued to dig into scripture, I don't even think I know all of God's commandments. I certainly can't list them all off. I can't tell you that I'm obeying them each one by one. This is a hard test, isn't it? Man, looking at yourself in the mirror with... <laughs> in the harshest light possible, as honestly as you can, with all of your flaws on display, that is difficult. And yet that's what John is calling us to do. He's, he's calling us to do the hard thing, to ask the hard question about my life. Am I obeying God's commandments? Now we tend to take the hard question and we try to dumb it down into the easier questions. Well, I haven't murdered anybody, so I'm good. But what about the harder questions? What about questions about our money and our time and our relationships? God gives us commandments about those too, doesn't he? And I'm not as obedient with those things as I would like to be. And so here's what I tend to think that we do. I, I tend to think that instead of facing those difficult, hard, biblical, soul-searching, tough questions about our salvation, and remember, you guys, you're rating this as an important thing that you can be assured of your salvation. Instead of facing that, we'll substitute that for these weaker evidences. And so oftentimes in conversation, when when you wanna dig into these strong evidences or you wanna talk about salvation, people will substitute that for a weaker evidence. I'll just talk about three of these that I'll hear often. And I can tell you, it's not just what I hear, it's also what I tend to do as well. So how do you know that you have a relationship with Christ? Here's a weak evidence. A weak evidence that you have a relationship with Christ is experience. 
If we could put that up on the screen, William, weak evidence that we have a relationship with Christ is my experience. I had an experience one time. This is a, a conversation that you have all the time. Man, I, I was at church camp and the person was speaking and I raised my hand and, and I just, I had this experience, this moment. Or I was, uh, you know, I was young and I was at church and they asked people to walk down an aisle and I, I had this moment and the, the hair sort of stood up on my, my arms and I felt like I had this experience. Okay, so how do you know that you have a relationship with God? Well, I had an experience. That's what I'm basing my assurance on. Now, I wanna be really, really clear. So hear me, listen to me. I don't discount your experiences. I do think that is an evidence. I just think it's a secondary evidence. It shouldn't be the primary thing that you're basing your assurance of salvation on. And experiences can be manipulated. Other religions will tell you the same thing. Well, I had a dream. I had, a, I had an experience too. And so this should not be the primary thing that you base your relationship with Christ on. It's just an experience. Another weak evidence would be our feelings. And I tend to have this conversation with, a, with, with younger people. I, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but it's very much like, man, well, I feel like I've, I'm good with God. I, I feel like me and God are all right. But if you're talking about your eternal life, you're talking about salvation, feelings are an awfully fickle thing, aren't they? I mean, think of how many times you've changed your feelings or your feelings have changed in a way that surprised you. And if you're saying, well, I, I know that I have a relationship with God because I feel him there. Can I just ask you, what does that mean when you don't feel him there? Does that mean that you've lost that relationship with God? What, what does that mean? Our feelings are fickle. It can be an evidence, of course. When I'm worshiping God, I feel close to him. I enjoy those moments. But if that's what my salvation is based on, that's a, a relatively weak evidence. Can we agree? There's a certain type of person that will base their salvation or their assurance on their knowledge about God. When I was, when I was in college, I had this job. This was in seminary. And I, I loved this job. I worked at a golf course mowing. Early mornings, if you have never seen a sunrise on a golf course, you aren't living. Let me just tell you. If you want to go, uh, you know, golfing with me, mornings are the best time. I love it. And I would sit on this mower for hours and hours. And one of the things that I did, I found this podcast. I loved this podcast. It was called, Un still called Unbelievable, I think. Uh, I haven't listened to it for probably 10 years, but they had just the most incredibly knowledgeable theologians and pastors. And they would have these conversations with atheists and unbelievers about philosophy, about to, uh, the textual evidence, the historical evidence for the resurrection. My knowledge grew by leaps and bounds. It was, it was crazy how much that, that I learned just from sitting there six hours a day listening to these podcasts. But John doesn't say that you need to have a knowledge about God. In fact, we can trick ourselves into substituting those two things. I know a lot about him doesn't actually mean that I know him. And so if you're looking at this 
passage of scripture, here's what we tend to do. We say, uh, going to verse three, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we had an experience at church camp. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we feel like that relationship is there. And by this, we come to know that we have know him because we know a lot about him. No, John gives us a different test for assurance. He says we keep his commandments. And that's a difficult test, but assurance is worth facing that difficult test. It's worth it. Assurance in your relationship with Christ is such an incredible thing to have. With assurance comes all these other things like hope for the future. When I know that my life is hidden in Christ, when I know that I have a relationship with God, my hope for the future is assured. It gives me something always to look forward to in confidence. Assurance of salvation truly does give me confidence as I walk through life knowing that I never am outside of the eye of my savior, that I don't have to worry about tomorrow, what it holds. I don't have to worry about this life, what I'll eat, what I'll drink, what I'll wear. I have a father in heaven who's taking care of me. Man, that lets me walk tall. That's a good feeling. Assurance of salvation, it gives me a joy that makes no sense in the midst of a life that is crazy and chaotic. And man, we're going into 2024. This stupid election cycle is about to happen again. And people are going to try to bring you down and it's going to be bad news. And it's going to seem like the end of the world. But man, I got assurance of my salvation. My future is good. My king is on the throne. I can walk with joy in my life and a song in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Assurance is worth the hard question, which is, do you keep God's commandments? It's worth it. It's worth digging into that question. Now, I do want to clarify, this isn't the only test of our salvation. You can look at others in scriptures, in Galatians. You can talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, next week, we're going to talk about another test that John gives to us. But there's weak evidences and there's strong evidence. And a strong evidence is simply this, I obey God. I obey him. And when I walk in assurance, I never have to think, man, I hope that I did enough. Goodness, what a, what a game to play. You never have to lay your head down at night on a pillow and say, man, I think, I think God will accept me. I think I tried. You never have to throw up your hands and say, you know, well, we'll see where this goes. You can truly have assurance, but you need that strong evidence, which is obedience. And now here's where we get to the meat of it. And I know I took 20 minutes to get there, but verses four and five, whoever says that I know him, but does not keep his commandments as a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. I told you that the main thing is knowing God. That's the main thing. And right now is where we come to the main thing. And I'm worried, and I'm always worried about this, that we will hear in what I'm saying today and in this scripture, what I'm worried that you're hearing is that if I obey God's commandments, then I can have assurance of salvation. And that is not what I'm saying. 
obedience does not and cannot and never will bring about justification for my sin. Obedience does not bring about justification for my sin. This is, man, if you miss one week, you miss, you miss a, a lot, honestly. Last week, we talked about sin. We talked about how sin, it, it separates us and God. It, it begins to dominate us in our life. It devastates things. That's what sin does. It's trying to separate me from God. And there's truly nothing that I can do about that. In my own strength, in my own power, I'm completely unable, even by my best efforts at obedience, for being justified by my sin. I can't do it. There's no way that I can get there. The gap is far too wide. This is a silly example. When I was, um, when I was in high school, I was in a band. Not in the band. That's not cool. I was in a band. I thought that was cool, all right? I had learned to play guitar maybe when I was a freshman or an eighth grade or something like that. Just some Led Zeppelin and uh, Leonard Skinner. That was the stuff. And then I found punk rock. And it's hard to picture, all right? I, I get it. I was the lead singer and guitar player in a punk rock band. I will not prove it. And... The best compliment that I think my band ever got was like, boy, you guys are really loud. And so if that tells you the level at which we're working, but I'm telling you, I somehow ended up as the lead singer. I'm not a great singer, but I tried really, really hard and I got better at it. But I'm telling you, I could try all day, every day. I could take all the lessons. I could have surgery. I'm never going to sound like Dylan sounds. It's not possible. It is a thing that I am incapable of accomplishing. Spiritually speaking, you can, you can work, you can give, you can try, you can obey, you can have, but one time, if you mess up one time, that sin has separated you from God and it is irredeemable. It's, it's irreconcilable in my own strength and power. I can no longer come back and get it. And I'm telling you, you miss, you miss a little, you miss a lot. We talked about propitiation, didn't we? And how the main thing is that whereas sin will separate, propitiation can reconcile. The blood of Jesus Christ will reconcile. God will forgive those debts. He'll release the chains of sin and then he'll restore your life to you. This is the gospel message. And so although obedience can never bring about justification for your sins, obedience can be and is an evidence that justification by faith has taken place. You have to get the order correct. You cannot get these out of order. Obedience is evidence of what has happened in my heart and in my life. And we see that in verse five, because God says to us here that the love of God is perfected in us as we keep his word. Or opposite, as the love of God is perfected in us, then we keep his word. At salvation, as God reconciles me to himself, I begin to know this God of love. I begin to desire to do the things that he wants me to do as the Holy Spirit brings about conviction. 
And as a result of those things, I begin to seek out and search out God's way of doing things, even in the hard stuff, even with money, even with relationships. I start seeking out God's way of doing things, not because I'm afraid of of getting to a place where God will reject me or I'm trying to please God so that I can have salvation. I, I have the love of God and the Holy Spirit in me, which desires brings about a desire in me to walk closely with him. Knowing God personally is what precedes true obedience. It's not that you have to obey so that you can know God. It's that you have to know God so that you can obey. The main thing is knowing God. And there is no way that we can know God apart from Jesus Christ. It is only him, it's only his blood that can pay the penalty for the sins that I owe, that I've accumulated. It's only by placing my faith and my trust in him for salvation, surrendering all of my attempts at at self-justification of trying to uh, make myself worthy before God through my own efforts. It's only through surrender and faith that I can then receive this free gift of salvation that God offers to me. And as an evidence that I have received this gift, the love of God will penetrate my heart and my life, and it will cause me to desire to walk in obedience. And so John says, hey, do you want to know that you know him? Look and see if you're walking in obedience. Verse six, we'll go 5b and six. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I mean, this is really just reiterating, but this is, this is sort of his application. This is our application. Just going, going back to you know, my music days when we were writing music, you could always sort of tell who we were listening to as a band based on the music that we were writing. And if you've ever tried to do that, it's, it's almost inevitable. It's, if you're hearing the same bands or the same songs over and over, it sort of bleeds into, it starts to influence your music as well. It's one of the reasons if you ever listen to an interview with a musician, they'll say, hey, who are some of your, your big influences? The people that we spend the most time with, we start to act like, we start to become like those people, don't we? We emulate the people that we most admire. An evidence that I am walking with God is that I want to be like him. I want to walk with him. When I was a little kid playing sports, man, I didn't want a David Palmer batting stance. I wanted an Omar Vizquel batting stance, right? That's who I'm watching, That's who I want to emulate. That's what I'll walk like. When I'm out in my backyard shooting three-pointers as a teenager, I wasn't ever David Palmer. I was Mark Price because that was my dude. Michael Jordan always missed the shot when, when we were playing back then, by the way. Whoever it is that most influences you, that's who you walk like. And John is just simply saying, hey, 
If we know God and if we love God, we're going to walk like Jesus walked. Read the gospel. See how he treated sinful people, unbelievers, skeptics. See how Jesus loved selflessly. See how he spent time in prayer. The Holy Spirit will transform your heart. It'll transform your your life. You'll begin to love the things that he loves. You'll begin to walk like Jesus, act like Jesus. And and I'm I'm telling you that it's not going to be this monumental effort of obedience. The closer that you draw to Jesus, the easier it just is to, to emulate him, to sound like him, to talk like him, to walk like him. Today, we, we saw that we can have assurance of salvation. The diagnostic test that John gives us is obedience. He doesn't say that we have to obey so that we can have assurance of salvation, but he says that evidence that you have come to know Jesus personally is that obedience becomes a part of what you do. And for us as a church, my goal, my hope just me personally, is that I start to look more and more like Jesus in my own life. I walk like him. I talk like him. I think like him. That's what I want for you as well. And so today, I want to encourage you just, we're going to take a minute of just quiet. I want to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to talk to God. I don't want you to run away from this diagnostic test. I don't want you to rely on a weak evidence like a thing that happened, a feeling, an experience, your knowledge. I want you to talk to God. Dylan's going to just play quietly in the background. I want you to talk to God. The first thing I want you to know is that if you don't have a relationship with God, the Bible is clear that anyone and everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. That means right there in this moment, you can just simply say, Jesus, I admit that I am sinful and I need a savior. Save me. I accept your free offer of sacrifice, your free offer of salvation. I accept your sacrifice. You can have salvation. For those of you who are believers, I want you to talk to God about your obedience and just say, Jesus, you know, show me where I'm not walking faithfully with you. Show me. Holy Spirit, open this up to me. Show me who you are. Just talk to God for a moment this morning.